Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to Pediapod for September 2022. This month, we're taking a look at how neonatologists' perspectives on the baby doe regulations have changed since their enactment in the 1980s. The baby doe regulations, which regulate the provision of life-sustaining treatment to seriously ill neonates, caused a stir amongst neonatologists when they were first enacted in the 1980s. The fear at the time was that the new regulations would restrict their ability to provide optimal care to their seriously ill patients by mandating the use of aggressive treatments in all but futile cases, irrespective of a patient's quality of life. In 2020, the Trump administration expanded upon the baby doe regulations through the Executive Order on Protecting Vulnerable Newborn and Infant Children, which states that withholding treatment on the basis of quality of life may violate federal law. In this episode, I speak with this month's highlighted early career investigator, Catherine Gutman from the ICANN School of Medicine at Mount Sinai, New York, who performed a study to assess neonatologists' current perceptions of the baby doe regulations and to compare them to the views of neonatologists when they were first enacted. I'm Katie Gutman. I'm an attending neonatologist at the ICANN School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York. I'm originally from Philadelphia. I, growing up, had always had an interest in medicine, although by the time I got to college, I wasn't certain whether or not medicine was going to be for me. So I explored a little bit in college and ultimately actually ended up pursuing a degree in theater. After I graduated from college, I ended up working a little bit as a paralegal, getting involved in a case that had some ethical complexities to it in terms of thinking about how doctors interact with patients and deal with products being marketed to them. Anyway, a little bit tangential, but for me, kind of linked into an interest in bioethics that as I kind of explored a little bit more, spent some time actually working as a research coordinator, and it all sort of came back together with me ultimately deciding to go to medical school, kind of getting interested in all of those little threads. I pursued a a master's degree in bioethics while a med student at the University of Pennsylvania. And then once I was in residency, I started to sort of see how that original interest in communication actually linked very closely to an interest in bioethics. And along the way in my study of bioethics, I got really interested in the baby doe regulations, which was sort of what ended up being the focus of this paper, which is a little bit less communication focused, but pretty heavily bioethics 
focus and I think kind of highlights the types of cases that we often have communication challenges around. Certainly an unconventional trajectory into pediatrics, isn't it? <laughs> but then actually, when you think about it, your interest in drama and law, it makes perfect sense that you would have this interest in bioethics and particularly something like the baby doe regulations. Yeah, I think so. And I also think like, you know, as time has gone on, medical schools have gotten more interested in training people to become doctors who are a little bit more like me people looking to do research that's not necessarily your classic bench research, but that is still important to changing how we provide care to patients and families. I wonder if you could start by defining the baby doe regulations and also tell me your perception on how well known they are amongst modern pediatricians and medical students. The baby doe regulations were basically meant to sort of dictate what physicians can and can't do in the setting of a very sick baby who may have a low likelihood of survival or a high likelihood of poor quality of life in the long term. My experience has been that younger neonatologists, younger pediatricians may be less familiar with them than were the people who actually lived it in the 80s. What did neonatologists at the time make of them? Yeah, so people were pretty up in arms about them at the time, they really felt like these regulations were going to limit their ability to provide care that was consistent with families' wishes and that they were going to potentially be forced to provide care that was really medically futile, that wasn't going to kind of help achieve any meaningful goals for their patients. And so they were really upset about them. And in general, the vast majority of people thought they were not a good thing and they were not going to improve the care that we were providing. And we, and we know that because there was a landmark survey at the time. That's right. So there was a, a survey done in the late 80s by Loretta Kopelman, along with another Kopelman whose first name I forget, but they were related, I think maybe father and daughter. They did a survey where they assessed the perspectives of neonatologists on these regulations and in particular asked them about how they thought these regulations would apply to three specific hypothetical cases. Asking people kind of their perceptions of the care that should be offered to that patient and then also what the baby doe regulations would say should be provided for that patient. We're here to talk today about how the perceptions of neonatologists have changed since then. Before we get there, I mean, are we talking about the same regulations that were enacted in the 80s? Interestingly, they really haven't changed in a substantive way. The one piece that we also added in, though, was that in 2019, the Trump administration put in new guidelines that were even a little bit more conservative than the original baby doe regulations, but um, addressed kind of similar challenges and themes. But really, you know, my interest was it had been about 50 years since the baby doe regulations um, had come into play. And given that they made such a splash when they came out, I was interested to find out what do people think about them now? And especially in light of the Trump era regulations, you know, potentially making those rules even more stringent and also kind of creating similar reactions in the medical community that the baby doe regulations had created back in the 80s. 
it seemed like a good time to kind of revisit it and, and see what people think about them. See if they're like the baby doe regulations are really even on people's minds anymore. So did you just do a sort of carbon copy of the Copelman survey in the 80s? In the 80s, one of the cases was originally surrounding a baby who was born at 25 weeks gestation, which back in the 80s was really the cusp of viability. But medicine is really, you know, advanced since that time. And there's no universal agreement about where the actual cut point for viability is. But most centers are able, you know, 25 weekers are, are certainly not really the, the absolute cutoff at this point. So we actually changed that scenario so that that baby would be 23 weeks instead. Okay, so you sort of modernized these case studies from the original Copelman survey. How did the views of neonatologists differ between then and now? Yeah, so it was interesting. We found that neonatologists today in general felt less compelled to provide aggressive care to the three hypothetical patients that we had asked them about as compared to those who had filled out the survey back in the 80s. And at the same time, they were more likely to report that parents' wishes would influence their actions and influence the care that they provided. Just to be clear, the actual regulations themselves haven't changed, have they? No. <laughs> so this this just represents the regulations being sort of progressively ignored? Is that too blunt? No, I think that that's pretty much what it is. I mean, I don't know that people are fully ignoring them. I sort of think of it more as just as time has passed and emotions have sort of cooled down, people have kind of felt less constrained. I mean, I, ultimately, there's a lot of gray area in the regulations themselves in terms of how they are written, which could mean that two different people might interpret them differently. And certainly lawmakers might interpret them differently if a case were to go to court. So I think it's not so much that they're being ignored. It's just the modern interpretation of these regulations and how that has influenced our perspectives on them over time. But nonetheless, there's a divergence between the regulations and people's modern perceptions. And so let's talk about the pros and cons of that. First of all, you know, Presumably, as you were saying, the progressive shift towards shared decision making and, you know, listening to parents' wishes, that could be said to be, you know, beneficial for the care of these neonates. Yeah, I mean, I see it as beneficial. I think maybe all of the research that's been done in this space, kind of looking at how to best help families who are faced with really challenging situations for their really sick neonates, really suggests that the best thing we can do is offer family-centered care, not necessarily saying, here's a complex situation, you figure it out and do what you think is right. It's not that, but it's very much kind of figuring out what their values are and helping them come to a decision that is consistent with those values, kind of pairing one's medical knowledge with one's understanding of what parents desire. Presumably there are some downsides to this difference between the regulations themselves and how neonatologists think about them. Are there risks associated with that for practicing neonatologists? Yeah, I think there certainly are risks because the problem is when you have a law on the books that could be subjectively interpreted in a variety of ways, you know, over time we've gotten used to the fact that these laws have been interpreted fairly liberally, giving neonatologists and parents kind of the leeway to 
limit the aggressiveness of the care that's being provided in situations where it sort of seems subjectively appropriate to do that. But, you know, certainly like looking at the recent Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe versus Wade, it's a perfect example of how there is some subjectivity potentially built into laws. And certainly it's different because that is in relation to an interpretation of the Constitution as opposed to, you know, a specific law that's on on the books. But I think still the comparison stands in that when there is subjectivity and how one could interpret a law, if we get too used to practicing based on a skewed interpretation of that, and then the lawmaker's approach to it changes, then we're at risk that, you know, someone else might interpret it slightly differently. And now all of a sudden, the things we we have kind of come to as a community, suddenly a lawmaker might decide, actually, that's not the case anymore. Does that recent decision and your work looking at the baby doe regulations make you more or less confident that they are fit for purpose in their current form? That's a really good question. It makes me worry more about, you know, the risk that suddenly someone could come in and say, look at how these regulations are actually written. They really do mandate that you provide aggressive care in most cases. And therefore, the things that we have sort of come to expect as reasonable maybe won't be seen that way. So yeah, I I think there certainly is is risk in there and makes me worry about how those laws are written and the fact that they haven't been revisited really since the 80s. And you also asked for people's views on those recent Trump federal regulations. How did they respond to those new interventions? Yeah, I think what was interesting about that is that people today in response to those Trump era regulations had similar concerns. If you look back at the concerns that people had back in the 80s in regards to the baby doe regulations, which sort of gets to some of the stuff that we've been talking about, where it seems like when a new controversial regulation comes out, you know, there's immediate kind of heat and emotional response And maybe, you know, in 50 years, if someone's going to go back and look at the Trump era regulations, you know, maybe they'll find what we found about the baby doe regulations, which is that some of that initial passion went away. Is there a follow up to this study? We don't have a planned follow up explicitly in regards to this study. My focus generally is on studying communication between parents and families in the NICU, which I think really does directly relate to some of our findings in this study. And so I have studies planned to continue to investigate that and to work towards improving our communication to hopefully prevent some of the conflicts that come up that may have been partially, you know, what led to the baby doe regulations being passed in the first place. That was Catherine Gutman from the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai, New York. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Please join us again in a month for your next edition of Pediapod. I'm Jeff Marsh. Thanks for listening. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs> 